What's happening, gang? This is Matt Martin of Behind the Blade Podcast, sitting across from Mr. James Stewart. Hey, and guys. I think we're on episode... Wait, this This is episode 48. 48. Wow. We're yep. closing in on a year's worth, and it only took us about two and a half years to get there. <laughs> That's normal. We're busy people. We don't have anybody an explanation of what's going on. <laughs> Although, we do want to kind of keep you yeah. guys uh, in the loop as to what is going on. Um, we tried some experimentation with some live stream video, mm-hmm. and I would say we got actually pretty decent results. Oh, we did. We actually got great results. I mean, the viewership was always amazing. Every single time, I mean, the very last live stream we did, we had a thousand people that had viewed the video before we closed the stream. I mean, so there's definitely something there that we could probably that we could probably um, use next time as well. Um, but Matt and I really just felt that the quality of the show, as far as the banter and the content that we were doing, was lessened by the fact that we actually have to kind of also micromanage the show. Well, Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I would say a big part of the show is the fact that we like to make funny faces at each other off camera while we're talking. And it Can't kinda... do that with the camera on either of us. <laughs> and, and there is a little bit of a distraction involved with having to switch cameras. In fact, it's so burdensome that I was absolutely incapable of doing it. And Jim uh, was playing producer slash uh, host. You know what I mean? Yeah. Switching the cameras back and forth. And it kind of interrupts the continuity of the conversation itself, like the conversation at large. So... Is that mine? Oh, okay. This one's mine. I thought Jim just stole my beer. We were about to have a moment on air. See? And this is one of those yeah. things that we can't do on live stream, right? <laughs> right. So, so uh, yeah. So, I think Jim and I have been discussing really kind of moving more towards visual content videos. And as far as the podcast goes, it seems to move a lot more freely, a lot more naturally to do just the audio for the podcast. And this gives you guys... Two different venues to catch content, well, and and each venue has different content. Yes, I mean, and and we we have one common place for both pieces of content. That's that that's our Facebook business page and the group, where where we can absolutely premiere new video content that we've got going on. We can talk with you guys, do all the wonderful stuff that Facebook does and social media does to keep everybody connected and up to date and together. And also, we can also premiere the audio stuff, which is its own thing. So we've got the podcast feed and we've got the videos. Um, do uh, you want me to go into what to, to, to like specifically what we, what we had talked about? Yeah, we we had talked about. No, don't tell these no, guys anything. Right, yeah, no, okay. go ahead. <laughs> you got it. Quiet. Next. <laughs> no. Um. So what we were thinking. <laughs> so what we were thinking about doing is we were thinking about producing video content using like the X platform factor and everything that we were doing to record these videos and also record videos um, on camera and edit it and throw it all together and everything and then use X split to broadcast the video to Facebook. And then also have it upload to YouTube at the same time. So now it's on Facebook, and now it is also on YouTube at the end of the stream. So there's our there's our video delivery, right? right. It's just its own thing. And everybody that subscribed to the audio podcast still has the audio podcast with brand new content where it's not shared, where you can catch one or the other. No, it's it's the audio podcast will still remain the audio podcast, and also we feature video content. Yes. Separately. And the reason for having to do it to YouTube and Facebook is Facebook will, uh, through their algorithms, anything that draws you away from their parent site, it gets kind of moved down the list. So if we put a YouTube link, it's not going to get the same viewership. It's not going to pop up in your feed the same as it is if it's dedicated on Facebook as a video file. Correct. We can, we can host a watching party or we can just Whatever. immediately go right to a video. Yep. We, can be, we can actually be there with you guys in chat. 
answering questions or just, which is also kind of fun. Just, which is which is also kind of cool because all we're doing is watching the same video that we just made. That's it. Yeah. You know, right right along with you guys, <laughs> yeah. and that's cool. And that whole thing is archived, saved to Facebook, goes out across Facebook's algorithms. It's local right there. It gets a bunch of attention. We can pull in new trench crew members at the same time because they'll be able to discover it through Facebook stuff. And then also we have YouTube as a platform to draw through YouTube's algorithms and YouTube's platform and, and YouTube's viewership and, and their bet. search algorithms. And the search so, queries that people punch into YouTube. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and those are the things like the tech tips or like the in-hand reviews, which are really impactful. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Whoa. Which are... This is my first time talking into a microphone, uh, which are really impactful uh, for the viewer. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, this is a knife in hand or this is a, a knife shop bench in real time that you can see how we're doing these techniques. Sometimes a banter, it doesn't need our faces attached to it. We no. have faces for radio. We in, get it, and in, it works. In, in, <laughs> fact, in, in fact, the following the following audio that we're gonna, going to append after this is the audio from the live stream. And in that audio, to Matt's point... There's a huge segment where we just have a GoPro mounted on a tripod connected right to the cam- connected right to the computer that is nothing but Matt talking about his tools. Neither of our faces are in it. Right. So, <laughs> in fact, we were already doing this. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, thanks for bearing with us as we go through these growing pains. Our number one goal is to bring you guys the best content that we possibly can. And as we experiment, we figure out what we have to pair off and pair back on so that we can give you the best content of its style. And honestly, the audio banter is best served in podcast and the informational technical side of things is best served in video. Yep. And luckily, I've got Jim in our corner to help us facilitate all the technological side of things and and really make sure you're getting the best of both worlds copy that cool cool so with that enjoy episode 48 thanks gang What's happening, gang? Uh, Matt Martin, Behind the Blade Podcast here for episode 48. I think this is, what, our, our third live stream? It's our third live stream, Matt. Absolutely. We are here streaming. Live. Live. Yeah. <laughs> these are a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, the, these, are, these are cool, man. I'm, I'm, I'm super glad that we decided to do this. I'm going to get a little bit closer to my mic here. It sounds like thunder when you move the microphone. Like I that. know. I know. Vibration is a wonderful thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Hold well, on, well, we're going well, yeah, to yeah, time yeah, out yeah. on that one. This is a take, family program. Take two. I really shouldn't move the mic stand, yeah, Matt. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so, one of the benefits that we have from this is it allows us to be uh, pretty fast and loose with the commentary. And I would say the biggest benefit that I see is that Jim doesn't have to spend near as much time editing and post because it's all live and uh, we don't have to go through and sound level and everything like that we're using good equipment thanks to our sponsors and our, our listeners our fans um so hopefully the audio comes through good with you guys jim's donated a lot of his equipment to the cause uh giving us good video so hopefully it's an enjoyable experience it makes our life easier which means we're more apt to do it more consistently when we're a not sick and b not coming off the heels of grinding right we were absolutely coming off of the heels of the grinding so we are you know roughly a release schedule entirely late <laughs> this time around we we absolutely meant to follow up the grinding weekend with you know like a full production um me full production meeting on the tuesday and then on the thursday we we're like we're just gonna do an episode it'll be awesome i was wiped out tired Everybody I don't know about was you. Sick. Yeah, everybody, everybody had a sick. cold. Everybody, like, we all worked twelve days in a row. Yep. And yep. it was like we're tanked. Like this is it. Like yeah, we need and, a breather. And then on top of that, uh, yeah. And then some. And then again, going back to the sickness, everybody in the shop had some form of sickness. We had like our own, 
we had like our own patient zero or typhoid Typhoid mary Mary, you know i mean it's like we had our own person we don't know who it is but whether or not it was a it was a customer or one of our employees you know fessed up to being sick for a while you know so it's like all of us were hit by something i was lucky enough to only get it for about like eight hours jenna and and i still have that persistent cough going on gotcha but uh yeah yeah, it's getting better so uh yeah so it's good to be back in the saddle it's good to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed yeah um currently it's 8 p.m in the upper peninsula of michigan and uh here we are so today we've got kind of a a fun show i think Uh, a lot of people love these gear reviews a lot of people like seeing stuff like that specialized tools um so what we're doing today is we're going to do like a dedicated episode to jim and my Jim and my Jim and I I favorite tools. It doesn't work that way. It's my Jim and my Jim fa- and mine and Jim's. I, no, I think you have to go. Jim and mine. This isn't an English lesson, guys. It's no. a knife making lesson. So no. let's get to it. So our we, we identify our. as our um, <laughs> our favorite kind of specialized bench tool. So um, we're actually we've got another camera set up in here, and we're gonna pull up some of the more unique tools that are in our daily rotation that we use every day. Sometimes dozens of times a day yes correct that we don't even think about it no you know until we quantify exactly how many times we grab it and use it and some of it stuff some of the stuff is very basic to us but uh but we're happy to share it with you guys yeah and, and matt and this is matt's idea i gotta give it to matt this was a genius idea he sent me a text message um earlier today and he goes what about this and i'm like duh <laughs> what can i say i'm kind so, of a genius all right, so, <laughs> so, all right so i am um, i guess we're going to jump right into it then um yeah, I, okay. I, I don't think there's uh, much more to discuss, and, and we okay. can get right to it, and then we can start discussing it. So, uh, or talking about the tools themselves. But yeah, th- I think this is going to be fun. I'd love to hear your guys' feedback on this. Uh, please let us know what you think. Right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take about a 30-second break while we move the wire over to the other camera, and we set up position and move the microphone, and we're just going to get right down to it. Okay, I'm going to go back to uh, I'm going to go back to the splash, and then give us a little bit of time to set up because we ha- again have to move the cord, move the wire, move the microphone. All that stuff should be very, very quick. We actually rehearse this and right and we will be right back after this awesome song all right what's happening gang we're back i told you it was gonna be fast right? and we're here felt like an episode of mission impossible we had to completely <laughs> rearrange the room in 30 seconds or less we were actually both singing the mission impossible theme song as we were doing this i'm glad the but, microphones were off yeah <laughs> this time all right so uh we've got a pretty good stack of stuff so i'm gonna get right down to it just so we can get through it um, first thing that I thought was really important to address was a vice. And uh, this is my drill press vice. It's a Palmgren uh, number triple zero. It's a vintage vice, but it's been fully restored and it's a great example. Um, but this is basically just a, like an effigy of all vices that we have around the shop, which I probably am running about five or six, to be completely honest, just in our small shop. I, I think that I think that all of the vices that you have were restored at some point. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> they're all pretty old and yeah, reworked. Um, the things that are important in the vice, you know, we use them for filing. So nice, good, true jaw action is important to hold your guard really securely, obviously for drilling, for clamping up gluing handles. Um, sometimes we're pressing out bearings or pressing things into mm-hmm. tight spots. You know, you'll use that uh, either an Acme thread or some kind of thread drive, lead screw or whatever you want to call it, uh, to apply force to it using the leverage of the handle. So I, I do think uh, a good quality vice. I have everything from Palmgren's to Wilton to cheap Bessies and lesser Chinese imports. Mm-hmm. Uh, but find there's so many different shapes of jaws, soft jaws to drop in there for uh, clean work on finished surfaces mm-hmm. so you're not marring them with the, the scored teeth. Oh. 
oh, yeah. of the vice. So that's an important one. This is kind of just a standard one. I just really am excited about this vice in particular because I can angle it. So I wanted to show it to you guys. This is quite the acquisition we made this year. Um, not particularly expensive, but invaluable all the same. So uh, that's one of the more standard items. So next we're going to get into, this is, uh, let's see here. I'm not going to hammer on all of these, but I think this is a really important part of my shop. Yeah, it's definitely important to at least spread them out because people will know what they are once you once you explain the idea. Right. Yeah. So let's see here. I've got wires running everywhere. Forgive me. And I'm kind of using Jim's monitor to see if everything's in frame. So what you're looking at here are specialized shapes that I use to hand sand in odd and hard to reach locations. Typically, we do our hollow grinds on a 10-inch wheel. So this is uh, kind of an altered idea that I got from Todd Begg. And I just kind of made my own shop improvements to it. Um, and this allows me to hand sand our hollow grinds. So this is actually stamped. So you can see it's got a 10 on it, which tells me that this is just slightly smaller than the radius, a 5-inch radius, which would be a 10-inch wheel. And that allows me to creep right up on the apex of the grinds without corrupting them and, and washing them out. So it's got a leather face on it, so that has some give and, and stops contaminants from poking through the sandpaper. We've got this guy, which I've had since my very first knives. This is a lignum vitae, just a stick with a leather patch that you can hardly see on it. There's and, leather on that? Yeah, there is. It's <laughs> just like a Little, oh, yeah. yeah, just a leather patch <laughs> right that. there. All and, right. <laughs> and I use this for detail sanding uh, on virtually every single knife. So I'll fold a piece of sandpaper around it and then just kind of work in that you know direction to get those hard to reach scratches out. The buffing wheel doesn't take care of everything. This is a tool I made uh, that does the solder joint fillet. So this kind of scores and creates the radius on this the solder joint itself and this is always being sharpened always being altered always kind of being perfected um and then we have various other stuff a titanium rod that i put two different points on um this is something this is a tip that i actually got from tom crine yep yep Wait, tom crine actually made us both um sanding sticks yes he did or uh and then and then i lost mine and I've remade it. Did you like eight times? I actually I, <laughs> I gifted mine to yeah. a, another maker. Um, Tom was kind enough. I, I made one when he told me about it. Then he sent me mm -hmm. one. I used it for quite a while, and then somebody came in and they thought it was really cool. That's cool. And I thought it was cooler mm -hmm. to give the one that had kind of the double lineage away. Oh yeah, definitely. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, so for I, sure. I know what you I mean. I thought that was a, a you know I, he the, the maker was really stoked. About yeah, it's, it, so. it's definitely cooler than mine. Mine, I'm sure, got put into about ten classic drop point hunters. Oh, got chopped at up work. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I because I was because I was I was I was stupid and I left it out. Right. So so um, anyway, this is like an inch and a quarter towel that's wrapped in leather. Also, I mean, you'd be surprised where you need to get this in to do. I mean, sometimes even finger grooves. I'll wrap sandpaper around it and I'll work finger grooves with. And then this is one of many kind of uh, custom shaped micarta sticks. You can see there's kind of a bevel to it. Let me see. So yep. you can see that. And that allows me to, on a flat surface, I'll kind of demo this. It allows me to set it like this and I can get right up to something without oh, yeah. scratching the surface like on a block. And have a good angle that you can actually yep. hold it and get some strength in behind it. I've got, yep. I've got like three or four of similarly shaped things in my sandpaper kit too. As about that i use them i use them on the daggers that i just did but they're roughly like that with the angle and everything and, and i use them both ways angle down angle up big difference and i don't yep. think a lot of uh consumers realize 
the level of handwork. I mean, I'm sure they appreciate the craftsmanship and stuff, but this is just one facet of detail sanding. Just oh, to yeah. get in those hard to reach and places. That's not even the final stuff. It's just the little nooks and crannies. That's it. That's and just little nooks and crannies. Hours have been dedicated to these things. Yep. So we'll kind of yep. get them out of the way and make way for the next item. So, <laughs> next um, thing. <clears throat> let's see. So these are two items that get used on virtually every knife. All and the time, yeah. This is uh, pretty cool. We actually, I traded this uh, to a customer and I was really excited to have it. It's a very old stare at micrometer, but it checks out with the standards. And uh, the micrometers I use to uh, check blade thickness or tang thickness when I'm determining uh, guard slot width. And it's an invaluable tool. It's a good thing to learn how to read the vernier scale. It's not at all complicated, but it can be intimidating to some people. So um, I recommend just kind of checking out some YouTube videos or online tutorials on how to read the Vernier scale. Get yourself a set of micrometers, and it's going to just allow you to – Jim's playing kung fu over there catching gnats. I, I got that one. Did you? I did. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you guys can check this out. And I, this is, again, this is a tool that we use on every single knife, and it's something that I don't know how I lived without it. So – it may not be the first thing that jumps into your mind when you're thinking knife making, but as it turns out, if you're making knives that have guards or any kind of associated parts that fit onto it, um, this makes quick work of just doing the measurement and making sure that your stuff fits precisely. So I'll put that back in the with there. a nice handy box. Now you would think <laughs> that if I had micrometers, I wouldn't need calipers, but the reality uh, is this. I mean, the versatility alone in it. in calipers um, absolutely supplements the micrometers. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I don't think you, I could do one without the other. You need both. Yeah, yeah you need both. And so I think one of the, the points of versatility that Jim is referring to is this is, I mean, it's almost like a scribing gauge. You know, these are mm -hmm. hardened tips on here, and I do have to redress them every, I don't know, 500 knives. I got to do the like same that. for mine too, yeah. But the reality is I can set a bevel height. I can be like, okay, I want my bevel height to run up 750 thousandths. And that's, a, you know, maybe it's an arbitrary number here, but maybe on that knife, that's exactly where I want it to be. And I would grab... This is going to be a terrible example because it's a full height grind. But I would grab the edge, you know, the unmachined edge, unground edge, and I would scribe. I'm all shaky. I need another beer. And uh, <laughs> and basically I would die chem the whole blade. Mm -hmm. I would take this and scribe all the way across, and yep. I would do that, repeat that on both sides. And that gives me my bevel height. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not going through this game of checking, is it the same height? Is it the same height yep. as I'm grinding? I basically just grind the line and stop. Yep. There are other yep. methods to do this. I just found this to be really quick, really precise. I can set mm -hmm. it right to where I want it. You know, measure it on yep. the blueprint. I, I used to, I used to measure it manually until you showed me that trick with that, and then I changed my world. I mean, I I don't even think about it anymore. Makes a difference. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Um, so another thing you can do, we both have height gauges and surface plates in our mm -hmm. shop. But another thing you can do is you can measure your blade thickness. You can minus fifteen thousands yep. and then divide by two. Set your calipers to that distance and then scribe it up For the edge of the line. blade, and that'll give you a center line. Yep. Not quite as precise as a surface plate and a height gauge. Um, but if you don't have those things... This will definitely get you there. This will definitely get you there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, and uh, I, can't, I can't recommend enough scribing a center line for both your for both your edge and your false grinds, if you have it. You know, that's a good Absolutely. point, Jim. I, so, I, sc I scribe <clears throat> my spines, too. Yeah. And uh, even if you're not doing a false grind, like even if... Uh, Oh, oh, yeah! Just to center your tip. That's it. Just to center your tip. I mean, like, I mean, there's a there. 
that's just a technique that you guys should definitely take to heart if you guys are doing this on your own. Scribe your edge and your thickness of what your terminal thickness that you want to be for your bevels and mirror that on your spine. The other, at, at the very least, just a, just a centered line. Yeah, exactly. At the very least. Just a reference yeah. point, you know. And mm -hmm. the other benefit it's going to give you is if your grinds are even, even if you take them just to 120 grit before you throw it in the heat treat oven, that's going to prevent warpage. Your grinds yeah. are uneven. You've got different, your, your mass is off center. Yep. It's going to want to draw to one side more than the other. Right. So, I mean, it, it just helps. And that was something that I had to learn doing 1095 daggers. Yeah, you did that the hard off. way. Yeah. Right. Is, is that you would get, you would get back bent blades. Yeah. My heat treat, yeah, I kept you, blaming my grinds. Yeah. So you improve the grinds and the only way to improve the mm -hmm. grinds is to improve your reference points. Right? That's right. So. No, they're, they're drastically important for me at the least. I know they are for you too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, my, yeah. my grinds are dramatically better if I have reference points. Oh, most so, definitely. And, so, and you're more yeah. efficient, right? So, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm faster. That's the whole yeah. mantra. Make a better knife faster. Yeah. So if it comes out better and you're not having to stop every one pass and then hold it up to your eyeball, I mean, that right. makes a huge difference. You're yep. going to be way more efficient. Yep. All right. So, Next. All right. Here's a wonderful pairing. Uh, this one came. It's funny. I, I was on the uh, was Facebook. I don't know what you call it. FaceTiming or whatever. Video chat with uh, Robert <laughs> Herbert from R&M Blades. And I'm running around the shop like a madman. And as I'm doing that, I'm like, hey, I'm gathering up my favorite tools. I, I said, what's one tool that you wouldn't be caught dead without in your shop? And he goes, you know, I can't do an Australian accent unless I'm making fun of him in person. But uh, he goes, he goes, you know, man, I've got this little ball peen hammer that I use for everything. And it belonged to his dad or his grandfather. Either way, it was kind of an heirloom piece that he had. And, he, and so in his honor, I brought the ball peen hammer that I think actually belonged to my grandfather. I know it at least belonged to my dad. And I ended up with it in the shop. But in reality... Um, this is the one that I use most of all. So it's a really small, I don't know what the ounce is on it, but it's a, you guys can get an idea of this. Mm -hmm. but I use this for flaring, uh, the pins and the guards. Mm -hmm. I use it for setting tubes. I use it for all, I mean, I use it for center punching. I think for the, for the tech tapes video that we have up on YouTube, you have that hammer. I have no doubt. Yeah. yeah. It's that one. Yeah. Yep. This is like a Colt single action army. I mean, this thing is always on my hip. It's got actually a little holster right next to the Yeah. Device. It looks like you've dressed the, 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 the ball, the peen end yeah. a couple of times. It's mirrored and yeah. You both cool. ends of it. Yeah. I, I polished <laughs> it up. It's even, uh, you can't see it through the rust right now, but it even has a little vehement knives in there. I don't know if you guys will be able to pick that up. I electro etched it when we first got the electro etch machine in. Um, <laughs> it's a good test. Yeah. This is an invaluable tool. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you wanted to see like, Hey, what's something that you're going to find yourself reaching for more times than not? I'd recommend if you don't already have a small ball peen hammer on your bench mm -hmm. to definitely pick one up and just grab it at a yard sale or, you know, garage. You can't go wrong, especially at a garage sale or a yard sale. Yeah, you pay a buck sale, and yeah. a half. Oh yeah. For, for a tool that'll use, that'll last you for years. I know that we use them all the time in the shop. That's our number one hammer. This. So man. The Optivisor. That's for painting small German infantry units. Oh, that's my dad. I'm sorry. I, yeah, 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 he's got a whole bunch of those little models and dioramas. Yeah. So uh, this is actually a pretty speak. Of, I got this at a Goodwill for that, fifty cents. That's not bad. No, that's cool. Still, yeah. yeah. I so I grabbed it up and I found out that when I'm grinding my lead-in bevels, which are uh, before I get into the master bevel, the primary bevel itself, I'll actually take the edge of the steel using a worn 60 grit belt right up to those center mm -hmm. line scribes that we discussed yep. earlier. Yep, big, thick bevel. Yep, yep. yeah, mm -hmm. real obtuse, you know? Yeah. And then I come in and that basically just saves the grit from shearing off the belt when you really move into the heavy material right. removal. Yeah. 
So, but when I do that, I use these optivisors now and I've got good vision, mm -hmm. but not telescopic vision. <laughs> right. These allow Space. me to see that line mm -hmm. and I've got a little sewing lamp right above the grinder that mm -hmm. points right down and I can see in high contrast that line like very closely and I can grind right to it till that line, the scribe line disappears and I'm good. I'm yeah. in terminal edge thickness and now we just have to make the lines meet. That's cool. Yeah, yeah that's so, pretty slick. I mean, if you're lucky mm -hmm. enough to find one of these at a, a thrift store or at a garage sale and pay the couple bucks, if not, I think they're $40. I can say that I have used the Harbor Freight ones mm -hmm. and they don't hold a candle to the um, the real Optivisor. And they look gotcha. like this. They're super ubiquitous in every shop you've ever seen, but mm -hmm. I, I can't say enough about this specific brand. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I do. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I referenced the German soldiers, but that was the first time I ever actually saw one of those. Oh, really? Is that, is that dad has one. No kidding. And he lay, lay around somewhere and he puts it on to, uh, to, to, you know, paint the little eyeballs of the guys, you know, the, the 20 Jim's, millimeter high things. I don't, I don't know when no, the last time he did that was. It was before we moved here. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, it was before we moved here. And I think it was even while we were still in Illinois. I've seen you know, them, though, and yeah. they are... They're nice. Ridiculously. They're detailed. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like he even, he even does some, like, electrical work. Like, he'll press like the top of a trash can like in the back behind a house and the whole house will light up oh that's in neat. three different light fixtures oh, cool. and stuff yeah he, he was he was really into it for a long time miniatures are fun yeah, yeah I, I think everybody dabbles in it at one point um one thing that i didn't mention while we were talking about hammers and these two go cool. oh, that was loud yeah well, these two go hand in hand is uh this is what's known as a bench block and my bench block has got an 82 degree v groove i can tell you it's 82 degrees because my countersink is what i used for an end mill when i made this <laughs> um i turned it out of brass you can get these in delrin nylon steel i really wanted a brass one and i couldn't find one anywhere it's because it turns out nobody makes them so mm -hmm. i made my own right and i used three holes for drifting pins out of and one big half inch hole for doing kind of coursework but it also allows you to set round stuff in that v and the fact that it's a non-marring brass surface and mm -hmm. it's heavy enough that it acts like an anvil yeah. more than the delrin ones they can bounce around a little bit but uh this one was made in i dated it 2014 so i've been running this thing for at least five years now or just about five years and i've nice. resurfaced it several times but this is a frequently used tool and uh like i said you can get the steel or the delrin ones i made my own brass one depends on how handy you are with a lathe and a mill um, but I, I cannot stress enough how often this big hunk of brass gets used in our shop, kind of a <laughs> specialized odd tool, but it's not, uh, what I think people would think of when they think of knife making, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's not an anvil. It's just something to beat on. You yep. Know? So, yep. And brass is, uh, particularly intelligent to use there. I mean, I, because you don't have to worry about the medium actually scratching what you're working on ever. I don't know why they're yep. not mass produced. <clears throat> I don't know why either. It, it doesn't make any sense. Me. Yeah. 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 Excuse me. Um, <laughs> you can hear the remnants of that cough. I'm going to try to get this to co-witness with the camera. We'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, we did not test this, but this, we'll we'll find out. This was a yard sale find that <laughs> I it blew my mind. Um, anybody who's worked in a machine shop should be familiar with what's known as an optical comparator. Mm -hmm. An optical comparator basically is a green screen that looks like the radar screen off an old submarine. Mm -hmm. And on it are various dimensions, uh, radii, thicknesses, callouts, and all that. And you would basically set a part on it and see if it meets tolerance, you know, distance yep. between holes, whatever it is, you know, features, whatever features are called and you make sure that they match and it does it by forcing bright light from underneath it and projects it onto this calibrated screen for lack of a better phrase um this is a pocket comparator yeah and i saw i said well that's a neat box i wonder what's in there and inside of there is this thing that looks like a jeweler's loop or something like that but 
there vision etched glass and i'm going to try to get oh you can it. see it look at that and it out my hands but in there all those same radii call outs angles distances measurements hole sizes accurate to thousands and i use this all the time in the shop for checking on scandy grinds how far off center i am where i need to make corrections you can check it for uh, plunge symmetry if you're really focusing hard mm -hmm. on a custom or something like that um, but and sometimes i just use it as a loop like just a basic loop it's a little cluttered when you're looking at stuff mm -hmm. but um, this is something that i have just had for years it's a really odd specialized tool but I feel like I would be a lesser man without it. And so I love it. I absolutely love having it. It's pretty it. slick. That's cool. I, I think you showed me that one time before, but I'm really stoked that it showed up with all the detail. Yo, yeah, on, okay. on the, yeah it was, that was cool. That was nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, GoPro. <laughs> I, I love it when a plane comes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> here are two things that. I think we both use some of this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they kind of essentially perform the same function, although one mm -hmm. of them is a little bit more versatile than the other. But when you're setting up, especially if you have multiple grinders or really anytime you want to set up something square, um, you have your tool rest set up, you have your platen set up, and you know that the platen is in line with the two idler wheels, but is it perpendicular to the table? Mm -hmm. And this makes a profound difference when you're cleaning up scales, doing anything that you're trying to keep things square. I use these one, two, three blocks as setup blocks, as well as drilling fixtures and stuff like that. So, I mean, this is a very simple tool. It's exactly one inch by two inch by three inches. That's why it's called a one, two, three block. And they come in a variety of sizes, but they're guaranteed to be precise in measurement, especially if you buy them from a reputable and they're guaranteed to be square in all dimensions. So you can mm -hmm. use them. They have some weight. They have some mass behind them. You can use them to set up your platens. You can use them to set up your milling fixtures, whatever it is that you're working on, on your drill press, whatever it is, you'd be amazed at how often this thing gets used. I mean, frequently searched for throughout the shop. I need to buy like five sets and scatter them all <laughs> over the place. Yeah. But uh really, really valuable tool. I think you can get into these for twenty bucks or less. Ooh, for comes, a set. It comes with a pair, right? Yeah, a pair of them. Yep. It was about twenty bucks. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I mean that's a great investment if you're looking up the precision of your work. Anytime that you need to set something square, uh I even use them on the surface plate, you know, if I'm working on a knife. I'll use it to butt it up to make sure that it's maintaining an orientation. I'll actually clamp two of them together so I can make sure everything's square when I'm mm -hmm. scribing my lines and whatnot. Um, and I would say the more precise cousin to that is going to be this uh, tool and die makers uh, precision square. And this one in particular is from Brown and Sharp. It's only four inches, I think, and it's a tiny little thing. It's not what people typically think of square. Um, but it allows me to set depths, especially at the lathe if I'm trying to something uh stick out x amount so i can cut tube then i'll just adjust it and, and slide it it's different than a machina square in the sense that mm -hmm. um this is currently probably my most cherished like i love <laughs> it like it, and that's just tool nerd i yeah. just absolutely love i believe it. you keep it in your center pocket on your apron right I that do. guy yeah yeah, do, yeah. That one. so yeah. this is this is definitely that square and ever since i got it i think it was like four um, it's, it's like a depth micrometer mm -hmm. and a one, two, three as a quick measuring. Um, yeah, you can see it's got graduated scales on it, uh, or steel rules. So that's pretty handy. Um, speaking of tempered steel rules. What's up? <laughs> Uh-oh. 
Yeah, I know. I I know about all these. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is like Jim's go-to tool too. Um, yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> how often do you think you use this every day? Every day. Yeah. Right. Every day for something. Yeah. And it can be something as simple as checking my my handle distance. It could be something as simple as oh no, I, you know what? I used it um um yesterday. Really? Use it yesterday a lot. Um, we had to take an international order that's going over to the European Union and change the blade um the blade length to under 12 centimeters. Oh gosh. Gotcha. So we take it to 11.9 centimeters. One side of my scale is millimeters, the other side is the other imperial. side is, is, yeah. is imperial. So 12 centimeters is roughly four and a quarter inches. I'll take your word for it. You know, that. so so it fit perfectly on the scale. So I was able to just immediately pull that out. It's it's completely straight, lay it on the blade, make my mark, move on to the next blade. Um I use them all the time. Yeah. Use it all the time. And a, a six inch length for me is perfect because I can measure both blade and handle distance if we're not doing like a goal lock. Right. Of course. You know, yeah. of course. And then you start <clears throat> doing end over end. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. So that, uh, that stays actually in my shirt pocket. Yep. That's me too. Yep. yep. Every day. Mm -hmm. And I've got them scattered all over the shop. Um, turns out I have them scattered all over the house too. Cause I, I, I came across one at a, a flea market and I said, oh, good, a steel rule. And I grabbed it and I got home and I said, I'm going to put this in my top desk drawer. So if you I open one, one, there's 12 of them in there. Jim, I'm not kidding. There was five. <laughs> I, was, and so I, that's, I, a, that's awesome. I was like, well, evidently I've had this idea before. And I, I go and I put it in there. There's just a pile. You know, I look like a pack rat. That's fantastic. Um, this one in particular, I like. This is a general number 300. I have mm -hmm. a few different ones, uh, Vita Toyos, and some with metric and some with SAE. Um, but in this case, I like it. It's sensitive down to 64ths. Um, nice. The top, top scale is in 30 seconds, which I use much more than the 64 scale. Mm -hmm. Use um, it more often than you think you would do, oh. especially especially here. Yeah. You know, especially yeah. in the knife making world. And Good. this is my favorite part because I am a total math dunce. And this is quick conversions. I don't think you guys can see it. It's quick conversions I of fraction I, I think we decimal. can tell that there was text on it yeah not not what it says but quick conversions from fraction to decimal yeah. that's right all the way down to 64 scale so that's cool it yeah. is really nice when you just <laughs> want to do it quick and sometimes you get those weird 30 seconds that you i don't know what 7 30 seconds is right decimal yeah you know what i mean so yeah. you just scan it and you're good to go so this is um out of i don't know a lot of the stuff gets used every day but this thing is on my person all day every day Mm -hmm. So in conjunction with that, and I know that Jim and I both agree on this, although he uses a very fine tip Sharpie and I didn't have one in the shop uh, to yep. demonstrate. Yep. Uh, I, I think that's more because um, I have a lot of people in my shop. So it's real hard for me to keep a fine point on a fine oh, Sharpie. Gotcha. So I specifically go to the ultra fine because nobody has any choice. That's it. That's all, <laughs> you can't mushroom it out. Right. Exactly. And so, then, yeah. yeah. Cause I, I keep mine super careful, <laughs> right. like, but I'm the only one using it. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, but yeah. Sharpie is a valuable thing to have. Mm -hmm. um, even just for marking center, for tracing out your handle material before taking bandsaw. Um, for writing, I write notes on bench tops with it sometimes yeah. too, you know what I mean? Or important information on tooling that I need handy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be lost without a Sharpie and then, uh, in no particular order, a mechanical pencil. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of people, I know that we have a huge problem using ballpoint pens in the shop because mm -hmm. of the dust from the micarta it kind of oh, yeah. repels the ink and unless you're using mm -hmm. a high-end pen which sometimes you don't want to subject to all the mud blood and yeah that's a that's a shop. sacrifice that it, you have to make you have to grab like a mid mid-range kind of expensive pen right you know to be able to grab like the gel pen and then go this will be screwed up in a month the, okay it will and never then, write you throw yeah. it you get so aggravated because yeah. you're seven letters into a sentence and it stops writing yep. and you're just 
uh, makes yep. you mental. Yep. So a mechanical pencil saves the day here. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing fancy. It's just a Zebra M701. I picked it up at Meyer for like four bucks, but I like that it was an all stainless barrel. Yeah, that's and, cool. Yeah. So I keep that on me at all for times. Sure. And then this is Jim. As soon as I said, Jim, what are your some of your favorite shop tools? Like number one was a scribe. Scribe. Boom. Absolutely. I mean, they're they're not expensive. You can get them on Amazon. I think I picked up a two pack for twelve bucks with extra carbide tips. Carbide tips, not like the steel tips that you can buy that mar out right away. These right. are carbide tips. It was like twelve bucks for a pack of two with extra tips. It's it's one of the most essential things. You want to get an accurate line, scribe it. Absolutely. I mean, and 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 there will be there is no difference. Or there, there is there is no better thing to use. There's nothing that's better yep. than that than than how fine a line you can make with a scribe. Super high so, precision, yep. and it to Jim's point because of the carbide, it gets deeper into the parent material. Yeah. So even as the if it heats up, you know, preheat treat, or if your die chem, which is your layout fluid that you put on there, if that wears off, that line is indelible because it's actually etched into the steel. Yeah, and it's a very very fine line. So and it's sharp um, enough that you don't have to use a whole lot of pressure. You could just kind of drag it through, um, and then especially with dicum i don't know if you've had this problem with dicum but like sometimes i'll layer dicum a little thick and then it'll chip out yeah, oh yeah as yeah, i try yeah. to scribe with it yeah. um a nice sharp carbide tip prevents a lot of that and just makes a real nice fine line absolutely so, um <clears throat> so yeah no grab a scribe it sits next to my pen the, me too so yeah. it's, it's my pencil and my scribe yeah. and my steel rule all go in one pocket just all, all, all right, next to right there i mean like i'm like i can pantomime with my with my right hand immediately where it goes. Yeah, right yeah just whoop right there you don't have and to then look. it's out yeah um <clears throat> so a couple other things um these two i use in conjunction uh every day on just about every knife and basically this is an automatic center punch i can demo it real quick on, on the bottom here that will do it all. so <laughs> i didn't want to mess up the bottom i will reface the top um so as it works you apply spring pressure and then it has kind of a release inside that imparts all that spring pressure you know all of a sudden rapidly into your part and what that allows you to do you scribe your line with your scribe on your part, and then if you have intersecting lines, like for a hole location, you kind of create that X pattern, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you can feel with the tip of this, you run it along the first scribe line until you feel that intersection, and then you apply pressure to it. And when you do, now you've put a center point exactly in the center of your two scribe lines. And you don't have to beat the hell out of it. You just do one shot with this, preserve the tool, and then I move to a more robust punch, and I will find that location, use my little ball-peen hammer, and then I'll just bam, and I'll set that out. And now I have a place for my drill bit to locate mm -hmm. when I want to put a precise hole yeah. in a precise location. Yep, yep. mushrooms are just enough to grab equal material and you sort of the bit so you get a straight hole. I mean, there's all sorts of pluses to the whole thing, yeah. And it's so mm -hmm. kind of rudimentary. I mean, we're looking at a hammer and essentially a big honking nail. Yep. And that's it. And that allows us to put hole locations exactly where we want them. We're not talking X, Y coordinates on the CNC. We're talking about a hammer and a nail. <laughs> and I can hold a thousandth of an inch, right. you know, uh, mm -hmm. as far as location goes yeah. on my blanks. So these are real simple things that you can pick up at any hardware store. And it's going to up your mm -hmm. precision immensely, especially if you were to put that in conjunction with your calipers. And then you scribe your, your line, your arcing line of your handle. Um, I like to go about 50 thousandths over center line mm -hmm. so that the pins don't look too low when you get done shaping. Sure. I think a rookie mistake, and this is just a quick tech, tech, uh, tech tip for you guys. Um, a lot of people will try to center their tubes 
or their pins or fasteners, whatever they are, on the center of their handle. And then when they haft it out, their, their pins look low. Mm -hmm. And the reality is you need to be just above center line for it to look centered when you're complete. Right. True story. Yep. So I'll use this to make that arcing line across the handle. And then I'll use a nail and a hammer to set my hole locations precisely where I want them to be. Perfect. Um, and then we're getting down to the end of it. I've got just a couple more things. While we're on the topic of holes, this is a countersink that we use the 82 degree. I think this is like a five eighths countersink, maybe plus or minus. Right. Um, Chucked up in a hand tool. Yeah. It's a like, pin vise, yeah. they call this. Um, it actually, it comes out, it loads into the drill press. Mm -hmm. um, but the, probably the biggest benefit outside of just countersinking the scale material for the uh, handle tubes to flare into is all of our tube holes get countersunk and that protects them in heat treat. Uh, from stress risers from the oh, sharp yeah, edges. Of course. So yeah. even the pins where the guard go, everything mm -hmm. boom just gets zapped with this thing. And it works as a good handy handheld chamfer deburr tool when it's set up in the pin vise like this. So this is a tool again that gets it's a weird nobody would have thought of it. Mm -hmm. This gets used every single day on every single night. Yeah, that's pretty slick. And mm -hmm. finally hand sanding flat surfaces uh mm -hmm. this is a file that my grandfather gave me when i was 13 he built me like a toolkit <laughs> from his backyard uh -huh. and it's an old i think it's a heller yeah it's a heller but it's very square it's very true and it's very flat and so i've always just wrapped my sandpaper around this and you can see it's held by a neodymium magnet and i just wrap this paper around it you know mm -hmm. several times and i throw the magnet on and as soon as that piece is used up then i just flip the magnet around tear off the used piece, discard it, and now I'm set with fresh paper ready to go again. So that's pretty um, cool. It, I would yeah. say in sanding blocks, having a true square hardened bar behind you is going to mm -hmm. give you more precision than uh, a lesser material. If oh, I'm yeah. Totally frank. No, no. You, you, I, I think that you should really only use a lesser material like uh, leather backed wood or even just straight wood after you've already sanded your piece. Like those, those other softer mediums would be for finishing. Right. Period. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Period. Just kind of yeah. soften any weird fastening yep. or something like that. I mean, otherwise you're just going to drive yourself crazy and yeah. then you're going to ruin all your grind lines. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so you want to maintain so, the grind yeah. lines, use something uh -huh. hard and in, in, uh, flat, you know? Yep. And then I would say the final thing that we're going to throw in here today um, is not just this knife, this little K-Bar, <laughs> but a just a armada of bench knives oh yeah we have little <clears throat> old knives that we pick up at yard sales and thrift stores and pawn shops they're scattered all over the shop and we use these for scraping glue for clearing out you know stuff in holes and whatnot uh for trimming material off whatever mm -hmm. it is you'd be amazed having a good and this is relatively sharp it's got a little convex edge i sharpen it every couple of weeks mm -hmm. um but we have these scattered all over the shop on every bench and all of a sudden you realize that this is your saving grace. I mean, anything from just cutting tape off of the end of something, this becomes the real EDC. This is the vehement knives, real EDC. Oh yeah. It's what you, it's what you reach for, for yeah, sure. All the time. Yeah. We've got like five or six knives that are just old bark rivers that were either broken or warranties or rejects, or for some reason that just turned into shop knives. And that's what we call them. We call them shop knives. And you guys use and it a lot. We use them all the time. I mean, so you know, take it from us. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have bench knives laying around, stop sacrificing your yeah. expensive EDC knife and uh, yeah. just find yourself some cheap old knives and throw them around the bench and use them mm -hmm. for all the things that everybody says you shouldn't use knives for. That's right. Knives are tools. <laughs> um, so tool them. <laughs> all right. Um, I think that's uh, I think that think that's it, right? That's it. Yeah. That's, that's it. That's... All right. Um, we're going to go back to splash screen here for a minute and we're going to reset up and then we'll come back in to answer some Q and A's. Yep. There we go. There we go. I cool. think we're back. 
we're back. So <laughs> I hope that wasn't too boring. Um, I, I thought it'd be kind of fun. We talked about it. Uh, it. I thought it'd be an interesting peek into some of the more unique tools that are going to be on a knife maker's bench. Typically, there's a lot of crossover between Jim and I. So I hope mm -hmm. you guys enjoyed that. Yep. Um, and I think now we're going to get to questions and the answers. Some some Q and A's are up, and I am primed and ready. To Dude, I'm some questions. So glad to be yeah. closer. Not because I'm a beeraholic, but because <laughs> I was getting so thirsty over there. Like my throat is just drying out. I didn't take anything to drink, and I'm like I could feel I could strike a match off the back right. of my mouth. You, yeah. Well, you actually, when you coughed earlier, a vulture came out. It's just, <laughs> just, just <laughs> it looked like when you clean the erasers in class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cool. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's get into some Q and A's, good sir. You have uh, you we, have some questions. We might, we might be the last generation to have ever cleaned erasers in class. Oh yeah, I used to do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. It was never in class. It was always like just outside. Right. It was, like, yeah, you don't do it. Out, outside door. Yep. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But now, now everybody just goes. Timmy, go up to the go up to the smart board and double tap the clear button. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so all right. All right. Q and A's. Right. Q and A's, everybody. Let's see what we have here. I'm not being rude. I actually have them queued up on my phone. Yeah. So from Tyler Schmeling, Blade is the biggest knife show of the year. One, what other knife shows should or would you attend or attend again if you've been before in addition to Blade? Um, I can tell you that we've done the usual suspects network, the USN mm -hmm. gathering. Yep. USN gathering I hear is pretty lucrative, is pretty good. The uh, um, I haven't heard a whole lot out of uh, Blade Show West. You know, Neither I've heard of people yeah, going. I've heard of people going, but I haven't really heard any like reports back. The big like, fanfare though. Oh man, Blade yeah. Show West is over. Big sigh of relief. Right. No, you know, I haven't either. No. And I do know a few people that, that go. I'm sure it's the usual stress and success. I mean, uh, that's the yeah, whole goal. It's right? just I haven't heard anything back from it. No. So so nothing to report on that one just because we don't, just don't know. Um let's see what else is good. I think the Oh, I, I have a special show that I'm attending this year. Okay. All right. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait, hold on. Let me cut to you. Okay, go. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this year we uh, vehement knives. Uh, I I guess I, it's always weird saying I when it comes to the shop. Yeah. It's such a cohesive group effort. But uh, this year I got accepted uh, into the Knife Makers Guild. I think we touched on that. So uh, Woo! part of my initiation is I have to set up at the Guild Show. I think it's the weekend of April third in somewhere in texas oh wow. that's as close as i got and i know <laughs> texas is a big state but i think i can figure out exactly where i'm flying into it's but only it's, six months away might be san antonio san antonio is cool might yeah. be austin i don't even know the difference geographically between the two but uh <laughs> i know everybody from texas really likes texas so i'm assuming that it's pretty awesome this is yeah. true this is true so yeah that's yeah. going to be um next year 2020 april of 2020 mm -hmm. we are going to be at the guild show um, and I do believe that I'm obligated to attend that show uh, as long as my membership is active. So okay. that is going to be added to our schedule, which is really mm -hmm. inconvenient because April is very close to June. Yep. Um, so yep. so you better you better have some of your now. June prep already done Good by God. the time you go, right? It's going to take a masterful levels of time management, good sir. Yeah. And Jim, <laughs> what shows do you go to? Uh, the only shows that I really go to have been Blade. Um, and I don't really even go... I don't even really go as a uh as like a vendor or an iwa i suppose yeah, yeah he was a big one that's in germany that's really cool that's a big one nuremberg germany i get to I get to I get to uh look like a fool trying to speak german and then everybody just goes what are you doing i speak english <laughs> <laughs> i'm stopping speaking german evidently. <laughs> <laughs> but no that's a that's a good one Iwa's good um 
You attended the local uh, Wisconsin. There's a Midwest show that you used to go to. Um, there was uh, there was one show that I went to years ago. Um, it was the Badger Knife Show. Yes, and uh, that was a good time. I got to sign. I got to autograph a couple of boxes. I sold a bunch of knives for KSF. Oh, that's cool. For Knife Show Free back in the back in the day when we went. Um, Derek and uh, and uh, the general manager Jay Rao were going to show up, but it was terrible weather, and oh. they actually couldn't make it. But we had made it down like before the weather hit. Gotcha. So so um, I had communicated with Derek, and I just had like this. This weird combination knife ship free booth where it was I'm here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so so it was it was uh it was good. I I uh, sold a bunch of knives. I um people knew who I was. I knew who they were. There was a ton of people that I saw from Blade, um, um from from Blade show there, and it was everybody just had a really good time. So that was fun. Um, Iwa is basically if you don't know what Iwa is, it's basically shot show of the European Union. Super cool, but three times bigger. I mean, and I don't exaggerate. My eyes got big right know, there. Are know, you serious? Like, Bigger like than shot. If you've ever been to Shot Show, imagine. Okay, so like, let me let me just describe Ewa like this. You've been to like a mega Walmart, right? Like yep. a super Walmart. You know that huge building that everything's in. Okay, Ewa's nine of those. Jeez. Like like they call them houses because of course it's 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 German, so they have H A U S H A U S. You know right? House Eins, Zwei, Drei. You know through the whole thing. Knives are always in house house five. Okay. House fünf. <laughs> and I speak English, and, dude. And okay, okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> and every single one of those buildings is the size of a super Walmart. Wow. And there's nine of them. That's then, a lot then, to take in. And then that's also the the food court. That's also the uh, the the interconnecting hallways. That's also the the archery sections and the and the, the outdoor stalls and all of that too. It's a it's a fantastic time. It's really good. If you get the opportunity to go to Iwa, you should go to Iwa. Okay, but also be warned, it's not for selling anything. It's an exposition, exposition only. I can't get so, anybody to bring me stuff back for me, well, because nobody deals off the table up there. Uh, right? Like, ask yeah. Everybody, oh, can you bring me? Just hit the Felkneven booth and just bring me back one of everything. And they're like, they're, they're like, not I can get you off a picture help. of one of everything. Yeah. I mean, here's a sticker. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think I think Felkneven was really cool last time we were there. They they know they all know who we are. Right. And uh, you guys have done some collaborations together, some work together. And, uh, not. I wouldn't say collaborations or work together so much, but but they know that the work that we've done with some of their models that they offer. Gotcha. Okay. So so uh, I know that uh, I think I'm not sure if. I can't remember if Jason from DLT did this too, but Derek, uh, Derek back in the day, um, had bought blanks like Falkneven blanks, and and uh, gave them to us. We had a handle developed, and we put put a bunch of them together. We were and we called them bark knivens. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty dope, though. Like, uh, yeah. I had the opportunity to trade into one once, and I still kick myself to this day. I think it was a F one, but with a Bark River micarta yes. handle on it. Yeah, and I love that knife. He just happened to have a Fairbairn Sykes also that I love, <laughs> unfortunately, more at the moment. But yeah, so that's what I went with. But yeah, if I ever find one of those again, I'll probably jump on it because those are pretty sweet knives. Oh, yeah. I thought they were a perfect union between nice micarta handles and just a sweet, you know, um, Swedish designed, mm -hmm. Japanese made. I think they're Hattori made. Or, yeah, I think they're Hattori made. Yeah, yeah I think that's gorgeous correct. knives. You know me and so, Falkney. Like, oh, oh, of course. Uh, Falkney even makes great knives. I mean, so they knew who we were. We knew who they were. Um, and they were like, here, have some Band-Aids. And they gave us black band-aids well, with their cool. fault even logo on. oh that's pretty sweet <laughs> and then they're like have some playing cards so they had like a swag bag yes that they gave us and they're like we love bark river here have this stuff have this stuff and then like, and we're like we're like we're gonna use these band-aids for when people cut themselves at our booth yeah which <laughs> and we did <laughs> which awesome. which which as as somebody who's, who's who's run booths at shows a commonly overlooked thing matt and i'm sure you know exactly what i'm talking about is that when you when people the general public pick up some of your knives 
five percent of those people they're gonna cut themselves it's a true thing and i've seen uh, a, a greater <laughs> number hilarious. of booths at blade show carrying band-aids on their table i think yeah. it's a good idea i don't yeah. do it personally um i have no stance for or against it i just don't do it because i one less it, thing to deal it, with. Right. I was going to say it's one more thing that you have to worry about. Yeah. Absolutely. But a lot of people do do it and mm -hmm. uh, it seems pretty useful because it does, cuts happen. You know what I mean? Cuts definitely happen. At yeah, the show. They, they absolutely do. But uh, but you know, it, without going too tangential into everything, I think I think a guy was twirling a karambit at our That'll booth, get you. And, and he cut his, the meat of his palm. He, it, it went right in. I watched it happen because, <sighs> yeah, I watched it happen. The guy played it off like it didn't happen. He just like unsticks it and then and then takes it out of his hand, like twirls it around, grabs it with his other hand, takes his other hand with the cut and puts it behind his back. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for not bleeding down, on my table. And he's just standing there like this <laughs> <laughs> on the thing, he's bleeding pose, into his shirt. And I know this. I let him play it out. Oh, it was hilarious. Man. But um, but yeah. So it, for me, it's Iwa and it's Blade whenever I can get there. There you go. And it's a good time. It always is every time. Oops, let's so, see. I, I next. skipped one. Okay, uh, one of my first customs was a Bob Drazula Pathfinder. Many similarities similarities with Matt's work and Bob's old fixed blades. Thoughts? Um, I can tell you, uh, this is from Howard Borst. Mm -hmm. Howard, I can tell you that is, okay, let me just preface with this. There are a lot of makers that influence my work. There are a lot of makers whose influence you can readily see in my work. There are a lot of makers, if you asked, who did you design this inspired by, I'll tell you flat out. However, Bob Drazula, as amazing as he is, isn't one of them. So it's purely <laughs> coincidental. And I think Bob's, a, uh, I mean, with the ACTF or ATCF, Advanced Tactical Combat Folder. ATC. Yeah. F, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the grandfather of the tactical folding knife. You Basically, know I mean? yeah. He was the guy who first really had the first, like, true purposeful iteration of the tactical folder. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're talking about the guy who came out with the CUDA series that, that mm -hmm. eventually was made, I think, by Camillus, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. Great blades. I've had both of them. Uh, I think there's only two sizes. I've had two sizes. If there's more, I didn't have any more. Um, I, I really like his knives. I'm not super familiar. In fact, I, I had to dig through some of his old uh, fixed blades, Howard, just to see um, it, where the similarities were, if there were any. And honestly, his designs are a little bit of a departure from mine, although I appreciate the compliment because I do think his stuff is airtight and I think he's got some really killer designs, but there are certain things. Uh, Bob has a design feature that I found consistent in all of his that is uh, counter to my design eye in that all of his handles taper as they get further from the blade. Yeah, they do. They and all really do. My designs, typically you're going to see my handles get slightly bigger yep. or at least have a palm swell and then, you know, widen out as it goes further back. Yep. And so it's little things like that, that as a designer, you develop kind of your own uh, fingerprint, even if it's influenced or even if it's learned or even if it's just completely self-taught, you're going to have what uh, Todd Begg calls the face. You can look at mm -hmm. a VM and knife and recognize it as a VM and knife. Um, but I, I honestly, it's strictly coincidental and I'm interested in seeing more of his fixed blades to see where, uh, there is some overlap if we were going to do a Venn diagram of the two. So, um, yeah, I, there really aren't much thoughts on it because not much thought went into it in that respect. Uh, so next question, next. Ross Bickers with the current craze of batoning and knife fail videos, what would it take for either of your companies make more knives like the Bark River Manitou, um, uh, i.e. not meant for batoning? Well, I mean, it's just, I think it's just making a knife to use as a knife instead of making a knife to use as surviving batoning. Right. I, you know, and you'd be amazed 
what you can baton with. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a, I'll baton. Yeah. Hell yeah, I will. I do it all the time. And I know that you don't have to, I find it very easy. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Especially if I'm starting a fire and I've got some dry cedar in my vicinity, I'm going to chop it up and that stuff splits super easy and so, i just make yeah, little matchsticks if, out if, of it if, if if you have good technique and you know what you're doing and it does not take it doesn't take a lot of skill to have good technique at batoning let's face it no i mean i mean you could baton with a butter knife because you're not using the knife as a knife you're using it as a wedge what if you don't I mean, take so, an axe with you you know well, what I yeah mean? of course and i so, mean of course like, so there's always there's, there's always that i mean you should take an axe with you but if you don't have it I mean, I mean, you can you can you can use it properly. Yeah. So I mean, so, yeah. What would it take to make a smaller knife? I can tell you right now that the Marbles Expert was arguably the worst selling knife that they ever produced to the point that it became a real issue. And if you need some help with that, go Google Marbles Expert. And the Marbles Expert was counter to the Marbles ideal and the fact that it was thinner on the spine. Yeah, it made a much better slicer. I agree. Um, it was a wonderful knife, but the reason they called it an expert is because it was not for somebody using gross motor skills to use their knife as a tool as something other than just a pure cutting implement. In fact, batoning is using your tool, your knife as a cleaving implement, which is two very different things. Mm -hmm. um, slicing and cleaving, that's why you have a paring knife and a cleaver in your kitchen. I mean, right. they're two very different tools. Yes, mm -hmm. they both have edges. Um, but, you know, in my mind, I like to have something that's a little bit of a hybrid because it adds versatility. Sure, yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that my carving, I have a Sloyd knife that is very thin on the spot. And I use that for wood carving. It's a completely different task. Um, so what would it take to make thinner knives? Um, I would say the whole marketplace is going to have to shift where everybody wants thinner knives, because to be honest, there is a little bit that we do that caters to the market. And there's also a way of kind of hedging your bets that, hey, how am I going to guarantee that this meatball is not going to hammer this, you know, eighth inch knife through a piece mm -hmm. of oak with knots. I can't. So I'm going to yep. be filling warranties all day just because we all know that a thinner knife is going to slice better. Yep. So, I mean, it's honestly, it, it, as far as that goes, it it just, if, if you want thinner knives, we both make thinner knives, you know, pick up a thinner knife. Lots mm -hmm. of companies make eighth inch blade knives on the spine. And honestly, you can baton with those too. Yep. I've done it. I've batoned with a Spyderco, you know, a yep. PM2. I've, I've started sure. a lot of campfires at that thing. So. I, yeah. mean, I mean, just to drive the point home, I've I've batoned with a Manitou. Yeah, there you go. I mean, so I would have no problem with it. Yeah, you, you just have to know what you're doing. I mean, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. So, so yeah, and the batoning yeah. debate is one that is controversial, and I never understood why because I'm one of those different strokes for different folks. Sure. You know what I mean? If that's what you're into, then you're going to pick tools mm -hmm. accordingly, and if that's what you're opposed, then you're going to pick tools accordingly as well. Um, <laughs> Tom Pucci, if you were a knife, how long would you be? I'd be five foot six. I'd be like a Nodachi. <laughs> we're gonna take the literal transition right. <laughs> how many shaku is that matt right, 12 yeah, yeah, yeah. five shaku <laughs> five roughly shaku, five right? and a half shaku yeah, yeah so i'd be <laughs> all right favorite tv series from phil remington hardly knife related but let's see uh I think, do, do you, what would be your favorite tv series i think i think last time we talked we were talking about american horror story we, yeah, yeah that, we that's true about that that was pretty good um Man, I'm a sci-fi nerd. So. Oh, but this is a knife show. So there's only one show where the knife is the co-star of the show. This is Naked and Afraid? Real television show. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. No, I don't know. I'm dense. I'm dense. I'm super dense. MacGyver, man. Well, it's not airing now, but okay. Yeah. Well, it right. was the last time I watched television. Okay. Probably about the same time MacGyver was on. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Mullets and jean jackets. I'm all about it. So favorite TV series with a knife involved to keep it topical? MacGyver. Hit yeah. like. All there right. So there we go. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Are you doing knife stories? I've got what I assume is a doozy. Um, 
You know, Rob, I tell you what, uh, go ahead and email us at info at behind the blade podcast.com. There you go. Shoot us an email. If you've got a knife story, we'll take a look at it. And uh, we'd love to read it on the air because these are always harrowing tales of knife stories or, you know, pretty fun. So yeah, just go ahead and shoot us an email and we'll be glad to read that one on the air and see if we can, uh, you know, get everybody all riled up over your crazy story. So next, what knife books do you recommend? Um, well, the first, well, the first one's easy. Uh, how, how to, to make, make knives, knives by Bob Lovelace and Richard and Barney. Ri yep, Richard yep. Barney. Uh, I'm looking <clears throat> right at him right now. So, do do do. What do you need me to grab? So let me see that gray one on top, Jim. All right, hang on. Oh, very top, 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 top. Right. Yep. That one right there. This one's cool. So <laughs> this is knives and knife makers and this particular edition of knives and knife makers is very special to me because this was dedicated by one tom Prine to your humble narrator so this is one of my all-time favorite books and uh in his words this is the book that kind of got it all started for him so cool. uh, sometimes you want to just look uh up when you want to learn so uh i would say if you were going to pick a book to get started in the knife collecting or the desire of knife making or education on knife history this is a great one it's complete with tons of illustrations this was written in the 70s um but you can see well, I, this is going to be a pain in the ass but it's going to show you <laughs> a bunch of knife making techniques i think that's oh, bob yeah, that. making a drop hunter right there that's uh, cool you can tell i've read it because i can flip to one picture and tell you exactly what's going on um <laughs> there's a lot of randalls there's a lot of different makers some of which there's bill moran check him out in his forge bill there's, moran what the hell fell out of there it was probably something i used an ad hoc bookmark at some point <laughs> 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 yeah, there's, there's bill moran working in the forge right there so um if i was going to recommend a book uh on top of how to make knives with bob loveless and richard barney i would recommend that one um there's a litany of randall books out in circulation which i think are really important to uh thumb through and let's see what else do we have oh the great collections let me see that book on the very very top jim this one yep this is oh, one I, I picked this up at a Barnes and Noble in the bargain bin for nine ninety eight. This is a giant hardcover book. Oh, it's, it's it's so hard to believe it that that was in the bargain bin. Oh, it was. Oh and my god, this is filled with fantastic photographs, and they call it the Great Collections because this is some of the greatest knife makers of all time in really high definition. Uh, let's see, you got some Steve Johnsons, I think, on the back. Yeah, so there's some Steve Johnson knives on the back, and they're really high def photos. So it and they're this is a great one to thumb through when you so not all inspiration comes from design now i, I don't want to look at some of these knives and go oh, i'm going to make a knife that looks just like that or i'm going to hit and make a knife that hits on those cues it's really sometimes i'll look at it, i'll be like holy cow the blade finish that that guy got is unreal or mm -hmm. the junction between his bolsters and his scales is something that i never even would have thought of so it allows you to kind of expand your mind mm -hmm. um, as a collector it'll show you things that you didn't know you were attracted to maybe you like uh mammoth tusk with mosaic pins maybe you've sure. never seen that combination yep. before and you see it in here and you mm -hmm. go i'm going to hunt out as many knives as i can in that combination as yep. a collector and as a maker it's huge inspiration because it shows you how far away the ceiling really is oh yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll show just it'll show you the result of someone else's experiment absolutely yeah. i mean it, i think it would be a good way to put it but it'll it'll expand your own mind and uh and uh like a like the first time you ever see a Norwegian puko with double ended, um, with with double ended um centerpiece where where it's like you'll have a yellow front ferrule and then there will be a radius and then there will be an oh, opposite right. radius on the other end. Like that was was something like that for me. Because you know, and obviously you see that influence in your work, Jim. Sure. Um, but not on pukos. No, you, no, no. You see no, it in everything else. Yeah. 
Yep, yep. I haven't done it on Pucos, but um, I, I'm just opening a beer. You don't need to cut them out. Cut, I'll cut to me. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, but no, I've experimented with that too, and done lots of radius radius joinings and curved joinings and stuff like that too, and had some really good success and results. Wouldn't have happened had these other makers not already kind of experimented with how to do that already. You get to see that kind so, of timeless influence. Oh, the coal books. Oh, Holy sure. Cow. Yeah, so yeah, of course. There's of course, a series of, 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 I don't have one. Oh, okay. I was no, say. I wish. Um, yeah. So uh, the, the series of coal books, I think MH Cole or something okay. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy, <coughs> excuse me. This guy goes through uh, military knives, historic military knives, and he does line drawing illustrations of every knife and every variation. The books are very expensive. I mean, they're hundreds wow. of dollars. Um, but uh, I tell you what, there is a great resource for historic military knives the mh cole series uh i recommend looking that up uh one of my other favorite books i it's downstairs right now i'm not going to run and grab it is um living on the edge with bob loveless and that mm-hmm. is a rare and very expensive book um i was actually fortunate enough to get that from my close friend jesse hemphill and uh that shows the complete collection of loveless knives mm-hmm. um in different perspectives and, and ways that you've never seen them before Man, that's and cool it's got some deep cuts that's in awesome. there so that's a great one to dig through um but yeah i would say virtually any knife book is i'll buy it if i see one out i don't care what it's about i don't care if it's just the <laughs> illustrated history of weapons i'm looking at that right now 100 legendary knives i've got tons of them not near as many as your dad has well, he's got shelves and shelves and shelves right yeah. i've got shelf yeah. Shelf, <laughs> I have shelf. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a lot out there. So, but the ones we mentioned so far, I would say are the the top ones to get into. Yeah. So now I got to go get some coal knives, coal books. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, that's that, what I preach. Yep, yeah, we got to make that shelf into shelves. Shelves here, pretty quick. Plural. All right, well, where are we right. at? Where are we at? Uh, we're at an hour and two minutes. Okay, hour so and two let's minutes. See. Yeah. Uh, so let's do one final question. Okay, let me yeah. let me make a good one. Sure. Let's see. Sure. Do, do, do. All right, so here is a good one. And I don't have a canned answer for this. All right. What is your favorite historical bladed weapon of war? Maybe I do. Why? And if you were to make one, what personal improvements or flair would you add? Woo! The, the entire blade blade history just flashed through my eyes. It, it's uh... <laughs> I got a stone cold easy one. Okay, all right. We'll we'll go ahead and start with your stone cold easy one. Are you gonna say katana? You better believe it, man. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely better believe it. Oh, I knew it. But all right, yeah. continue. How would you improve it? Uh, I mean, full tang. No, no, I'm just joking. No, I'm just joking. no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, if I were to make one, honestly, the the journey would be in the historical manufacturing process. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. And so the only changes that I would make to it. Um, is obviously I would put a blowgun slash breathing pipe into the side. No, uh, I think the only changes that I would make to it is I would um, I would make my own furniture mm-hmm. and I would make it in my design. Sure. So instead yeah. of using off the shelf or antique uh, Fuji Kashira, uh, Suba, mm-hmm. even uh, Kozuka and Kogai or Kogatana, depending on how you describe it, um, I would I would just I would make my own using uh you know techniques that i have in my arsenal right now sure and i would yeah. make my own design that way mm-hmm. but uh i think the the experience of being able to do it um a hundred percent not mm-hmm. not saying okay this is a katana except it's full tang and it doesn't have a suba um you know what i mean or this is a mm-hmm. katana except it's uh damascus but not differentially quenched or this is you sure. know so i would go a hundred percent which is why um 
I haven't done it yet because I, I, that's a lot of effort. I don't yeah. want to half ass it. Like I, I, I can't yeah. bring myself to be like, yeah. okay, this is mostly a katana. You, you'd almost have to sacrifice a lot of material to the learning process first yep, absolutely. before you started over again. And you found out exactly the method that you would use to implement the entire thing. Oh, and I don't so, know what I'm doing mm -hmm. anyway. I think that is, <laughs> is so far. I mean, people think mm -hmm. that they're receiving my finished product. I mean, people are getting my test papers. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, yep. I mean, when I make a knife, like it's not because I know what I'm doing. It's because I'm trying super hard yep. to get there. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I, can, so, I can relate to that. You're more practiced than I am, but I'm like, the only reason you saw that knife is because I got lucky. Yeah, yeah right. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah. All right. And so I, I think with that, is that abrupt as it is? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, like my my answer to that question would really just be a kukri. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, so if we talk about kukris, if you have, if you guys have ever used one, um, Google if you don't know what they are. Trust me, you'll you'll be like, oh, okay. I get it. And the history behind it. The history and, and behind it. The history it makes behind it. it's awesome. It's really good. Um, so if I were to improve upon that, I would actually weight the handle a little bit more. Ooh, like a pommel, typical. you think? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever handled? You, have you handled the Marauder? Yep. That I designed. Yep. The the blades, the blades. It's a seven and a half inch blade. You can't feel it. No, because because of that, that. because of that weight shift. I want to kind of make like a like a thick, like five sixteenths thick, quarter inch thick kukri, and try to emulate the weight difference. Oh, there you go. In that. Yeah. So it'll be very heavy until you actually hold it. Then it's perfectly balanced, and I want to see what that does because the ones that I've t I've used in the past have been close but forward heavy. Some and, of them, and it makes the, sense because it's a kukri and it's bent and oh, that whole. There's thing. a lot of blades to kind of help me, and, and, and it's <laughs> yeah. dropped way off center. I right. mean, so no, I get it. So, so, but I'd like to see what that would do a little bit better balanced, like intentionally. So I would like. I think it's that, just that'd be a fun experiment. Yeah, so, good so, answer. But anyway, uh, that's 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 as far as it goes. I think for us tonight. I think that's a podcast. Yep. It's been episode 48. Guys, make sure to remember to check out episode 47. That'll be up actually in a little bit because I never got done editing it, but it will be done shortly. So um, make sure to rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud and Google Play and uh, Stitcher and uh, wherever else you aggregate your podcasts. Now we're uploading these yep. to YouTube also, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This the, the, the previous stream and this one next week will go up on YouTube. Cool. So, so um, the previous episode, that'll be up on podcast feed tonight and the youtube channel tonight i have all that already done um actually i think i even exported the video i just have to upload it my man so i think it's already finished um we have to run a little bit of extra work on the podcast feed but um that'll be up tonight too and then this will be done next week sweet so, so yeah if you guys could share those youtube videos it would yeah. help us out immensely uh, we're trying to grow the audience and with that it gives us kind of the driving force to keep doing this and keep trying to come up with fun and interesting yep. interesting content so thanks everybody who's watching right yep. now yep. make sure to share this live stream and Please. to share and to share the youtube video if you so desire Absolutely. Absolutely. So right. thank you everybody for watching. And this has been Behind the Blade Podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you aggregate your podcasts. Want to drop us a line? Got a question, concern, comment that you would like us to hear? Send it to info at BehindTheBladePodcast.com. Need more Behind the Blade? Subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash BehindTheBlade. Also, hit that subscribe button there as well, and don't forget to hit the little bell next to it so you get notified first whenever we make a brand new upload. And remember, when you have a knife, all life's problems become cheesecake.